Although many of us strive to be the best dad we can be, many physicians struggle with finding balance between their life at home and their life at work. This is the Imperfect Dad MD Podcast, the show where we discuss topics involving our minds, bodies, beliefs, relationships at home, and upping our game with our business practices and financial knowledge to better improve our role as dad in the lives of those around us. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy Toffel, physician, husband, father to two boys, and self-proclaimed imperfect dad. Join me as I learn to raise my own imperfections within all these topics. Now, let's get to today's discussion. This is the Imperfect Dad MD Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy Toffel. And in today's episode, I want to talk a little bit about mental health conditions, especially in kids, because I think as a lot of us have heard or maybe have seen, um, it seems that some of these mental health conditions have increased since especially COVID came around and how it's affecting our kids and what's going on. And as a general pediatrician, I'm seeing a lot of it. And I felt like it was, I was at a point where I feel like I need to talk about it. And I've talked about anxiety, depression, things like that in kids in in previous shows, but I feel like it needs an update. I feel like it's, there's never too much talk about this. This is something that I think a lot of people struggle with. A lot of people have a hard time figuring out. And so I want to just talk about my thoughts on, you know, why we're seeing this increase or why maybe it's just a little bit more prevalent in terms of the conversation now and what maybe you can be doing for your kid and how maybe you can help them at home with managing this before it gets to a point where you're needing maybe more counseling or more or medication use or something like that. Now, before I get into that, if you have not yet subscribed to the show, please do. That way, if a new show gets released, you will be notified right away of it. Um, also, if you've not yet left a review, please leave a review. I appreciate those reviews so I know if you are appreciating what I'm saying or if maybe I need to change up how I'm doing things. So reviews are wonderful. Also, if you've not yet, share this with a friend if you think it's something that they will get some benefit from or some enjoyment from. Now, when we're talking about mental health conditions in kids, obviously the most common ones are things like anxiety and depression. Those aren't the only ones, though. You know, we see mental health conditions that can be involved with even just lack of motivation with kids with school or sports or activities, which could be kind of the the pre-steps to depression. It could be eating disorders or body dysmorphic disorders. Um, And so, when you look at this, it's it's pretty obvious that since COVID occurred, a lot of these have started to rear up more in our adolescence. Now, if you try to find data online, which I tried to find for recently for COVID, especially um, the 2022 data, it's a lot of conflicting information. So it's hard to tease out. And I think first you have to address why is it conflicting? Well, there's a lot of pediatric uh, articles out there focused on emergency room visits and adolescents and mental health situations. And if you look at some of the raw data, you would be swayed to believe that actually the number of mental health visits went down. Some of the percentages went down on an annual basis compared to what they were normally at. Well, the issue here is that all ER visits had gone down during early and mid-COVID because nobody was wanting to go to the hospital. Nobody was wanting to go to the emergency room because they didn't want to get COVID. People were scared to go, so people were more hesitant to take their kids in. So if you focus only on emergency room visits, you may be persuaded to think, oh, all this talk about 
pediatric mental health is complete BS. It's it's not real. You know, people are, you know, blowing their, you know, subjective biases on this, and um, it's not really a problem. Now, if you look at some other articles, there was a paper out of Ontario that said that mental health visits had gone up about 10% between 2020 and 2021, and I think another 10% in the 2022, I believe. Um, and so you look at something like that and you say, oh, okay, look, it is a problem. And so I think it's hard when you're trying to go out there and find papers and data. Um, it's really hard to find accurate information. You know, for me, I actually, <laughs> early, from 2020 to 2021, um, this was something we were starting to see. And so I started collecting data in the office, comparing p- kids' previous uh, PHQ 9 and GAT 7 scores from 2019 to 2020 to 2021 to see if I could see, you know, a correlation or changes in that. And I tried to get... Um, qualification for it, like IRB qualification, but because I had already started collecting the data, I was told I was no longer allowed to do it. So I had to give it up, which kind of sucked because I put a lot of time into it. But I did definitely notice um, some changes in that. Now, if you're not familiar with what those are, a PHQ-9 is a depression questionnaire that we give to our adolescents. So kids who technically are 12 and older, so going into seventh grade and up, um, they fill this out. And it's questions that try to screen for early signs of depression. And that can be things like problems with sleep, changes in appetite, changes in mood, changes in interests on things that they like, how do they feel about themselves, but even gets into the questions of, you know, have you ever any thoughts about hurting yourself or killing yourself or have you ever tried? So there's a lot of questions on there and a lot of deep questions. And, you know, sometimes when you see some 12 and 13 year olds filling those questions out, they're almost like laughing at the questions like why this is stupid. And that makes me happy because that means that child's never thought about those things. But sadly, you get those kids who look at those and you can tell that those thoughts have crossed their mind even as they're filling out those questions. And so that's a PHQ-9. A GAD-7 questionnaire is just an anxiety depression question that um, has several questions that helps us determine if kids are starting to show some signs of anxiety, um, basically to kind of let us know that, hey, something's going on and we need to probably step in at this visit. And that's why healthcare visits are important, you know. Some kids don't tell their parents how they're feeling, and especially teenage kids, they tend to be on their own a little bit more sometimes, a little bit more withdrawn in their rooms, doing their own thing. And so a lot of parents aren't aware that things are wrong or something's changed, and um, we sometimes don't pick it up until we get these questionnaires in. So just as a side note, if you're a parent of a teenager, get your kid in for their annual visit if you haven't yet. Um, Because you want to make sure you want to make sure that nothing's changed. And the best thing to do is to take your care and your kid in for a healthcare visit and have nothing be wrong. That's probably the best thing to have happen to you. So um, that's what we all hope for that it's an easy visit, but sometimes it's not. And so sometimes those questionnaires are definitely high and or even borderline high. And in those cases, it's that question of, okay, what's going on? Why the sudden change? What's happened? Well, obviously, we can look back the last several years and and blame COVID for a lot of it. Um, Now, kids were anxious and depressed before COVID, right? You look at things like different clicks at school, social media, which, you know, we talked about cell phones last week. I'm not going to dive into that again, but social media is a big culprit nowadays with with mental health and kids. Um, you t- look at, you know, school-related things like how they're doing in classes. Do they feel like they're failing? Um, you look at sports. You look at extracurricular activities, what they're doing with their friends. You know, there's a lot of influences as to what makes a kid anxious or depressed. It could be things at home or what's happening with parents at home. How are the parents responding to their kid? Do you live in a broken home? 
do you have a parent who's abusive? And that can obviously influence things like anxiety and depression. But then COVID came around, and then what did we see? What changed? Well, kids no longer had their normal routines. Kids were out of school for a while. All the sports and extracurriculars were gone. And that was for a pretty good year, I would say, that that you were seeing that across the board for kids. So what happened? They lost their sense of self, their sense of identity, who they were, and they were lost. And for some kids, being home was helpful because parents recognized something was going on and they got help. But in other cases, being home wasn't because for a lot of kids, their support was those activities or their friends at school. And that really natively affected those kids. You know, when you are identified as the, you know, basketball star, the football star, or even just being on the team, like that's how you identify yourself in school. And then now that's no longer there. How do you identify? How do you find yourself? If you no longer have the success of the sport you were doing or the activity you were doing there to give you that positive reinforcement, now where's that positive reinforcement coming from? And maybe you weren't getting it as much from friends or colleagues or, you know, home with parents and that was your one thing that kept you going and now it's gone. Or maybe you're one of those kids where although you were stuck at home with school and virtual learning, your parents couldn't help you. Your parents were still working. And in the past, it wasn't a problem because you were at school, you were doing things, but now you're home. And maybe your parents are home too, but they're having to completely ignore you because they're working virtually from home. And if they don't do their job, they're going to lose it. And although that's nobody's fault, that feels worse, I think, as a kid, right? You got somebody in the house that could be helping you, but they're stuck with their own problems and they can't help you at all. So you look at some of the stuff that's happened with COVID and how it's affected kids, and it'd be silly to say that the number of mental health issues is not going up in our adolescent youth and our teenagers. I mean, I will say as a general pediatrician, I have managed more kids with anxiety and depression in the last two years than I have in the seven years I was before COVID. And that's hard. You know, that's hard on physicians. Um, Seeing kids struggle with that and trying to figure out how the heck you're going to help them is difficult. You know, some people might look at it and just say, oh, okay, they have a high score, put them on a medication and leave it at that. But I think most of us know, at least those of us in medicine, that medicines by themselves don't work. You have to have some buy-in, and you have to have some changes in how kids or how the person thinks about it. You know, the one term I always use for my patients, if I start them on a medication for depression or anxiety, is I say, hey, these medicines are not a cure. They're like crutches. So imagine you sprained your ankle playing a sport, and your ankle sprained, It's swollen, it's bruised, you can't walk on it. And so for that first week of your ankle sprain getting better, you use crutches, right? You take the weight off your ankle, you make it easier for your body to heal it up, and then as it heals up, you get rid of the crutches, and you're able to start walking, start jogging, start running again. Well, the medicine's like crutches. Crutches don't cure the sprained ankle, but they help it along the way to get better. So what do these medicines do? Well, They don't cure your depression and anxiety, but they make it easy for your brain to take situations and approach them differently. Approach them in a more happy or neutral tone instead of a more sad or depressed tone. But the problem is, is you have to buy into that and you have to be doing something on the side. You can't expect to just take these medicines and everything to get better. Because 
you know, I think sometimes families come in and patients come in, they're like, oh, just put me in a medicine, I'm going to do better. You know, I have parents that are like that too. Like they don't care about, you know, talking about counseling, talking about therapists, talking about what's wrong. They just say, hey, put my kid on a medicine and they're going to get better. And I have to stop them there and I have to say, nope, that's not how it works. You have to do more than just the medicine. And some people will totally buy into that. And some people won't. And that's really difficult. You know, I had a teenager recently. I'm not going to give any specific information due to HIPAA situations, but this teenager, very high PHQ-9 score, no thoughts of harming themselves, but very high score, has had this high score in the past and refused to do anything about it. And so we talked about things to do, told them to come back, reevaluate, and guess what? They didn't do anything, and those scores were still just as high. But this patient still wanted to do nothing. Didn't want to take medications, didn't want to see a counselor or a therapist, and they just told me, it's fine, I'll take care of it myself. And I had to just look there and say to them, okay, you've been taking care of it yourself for the last three months. What's changed? And they said, nothing. I said, okay, what's going to change in the next three months? I don't know. And we went around in circles for probably a solid half hour just doing that. Me trying to convince this person and their parents who are sitting in the room that you can't do this by yourself. You've tried it. It's not just going to go away. This isn't just like, you know, a stomachache that's going to resolve on its own. This is something that needs to be worked on. And sadly, that patient still refused by the end of it. And I looked at the patient and looked at that parent and I said, listen, my job here is to help you feel better, but I can only do it if you're willing to try to feel better. If you are not willing to make those changes at all, There's no reason to come and see me for this. I want to see you, but we're just going to talk in circles again. So instead, I had this patient maybe agree to an exercise plan because this patient was sedentary, um, overweight significantly, wasn't doing a lot of activity. said, listen, maybe if you do this, maybe if you work on some physical activity, it's going to make your body feel better because we all know exercise releases endorphins and maybe that'll work. And I got this patient to theoretically agree to this exercise plan that I designed for them. Um, Nothing extreme, but it was basic. And I said, okay, great. This is what you're going to do. I'm going to see you back in two months. Let's see how these numbers are going. And let's see how this is going. Let's see if you stuck to this. Um, Two months was the soonest that they agreed to come in and see me. I'd love to see them sooner because that's hard. You need accountability. So we'll see what happens there. But just like I said, things can't just change on their own. Things get to a point where it's not just going to stop. And if you don't step in, things are going to get worse. So what can you do for your kids? Number one, see your doctor, see your pediatrician or whomever that is, and get their advice. See how bad things may be. And try to figure out why. You know, as a physician, it's a lot easier to tell you your kid's depressed or anxious. It's a lot harder to tell you why they're that way. You know, what... What happened? What was that one thing that led to this? And a lot of times it's not one thing. It's a combination of things. It's a combination of little things that built up to make them respond the way they are now. You know, I use my kids as examples all the time. And, you know, our younger son, he's five. He's in kindergarten. Love him to death. He's had a hard year just with some behavioral stuff. And so we've had to go back and forth on things. And, and, you know, he's gotten in trouble for things. And we're trying to work on that, which is great. Definitely, I think we're making progress. But the hard part is he's had a hard year with that. And because of that, now when he messes up on something, be it coloring, be it playing a game, 
or anything, before anything can be said, he's already decided in his mind that he's done something wrong, and he starts crying, or he gets angry. He loses it. And for a little bit, it was hard for me to understand why he was acting that way, but I realized it was because of what had happened in the past. You know, the fact that we were working with him on trying to stop some certain behaviors or stop certain ways he responded to things, well, now he felt like he was messing up. And so that messing up correlated to him getting in trouble in the past, and now he was having a negative feeling about it and getting anxious about it or getting upset about it and responding that way. So, you know, for me, as a dad, then I have to tell myself, okay, I got to work on this with my kid when I'm with him. And I got to talk to him and say like, hey, but no, it's not a big deal. You didn't mess up. You didn't do anything wrong. You don't have to be sad about this stuff, you know, but that's not part of it always. I also have to check and see what am I doing in the other times when he is misbehaving? Am I making him feel really bad about himself for it? Am I responding to him in a really negative way? Because, you know, I can be all happy and nice dad when he is you know, having those moments of being upset about coloring. But if I'm still being angry, mean dad, when he is actually misbehaving, it's not going to improve anything. And I think that's hard sometimes as parents, when we see our kids being anxious about something or depressed about something, it's easy for us to look at them and say, oh, you don't need to be upset about this. Or, oh, you have a really easy life compared to other people doing all these things. You don't need to feel this way. But then if we don't change what else we're doing at home or take a step back and look and say, okay, I got to figure out where this started. You know, what led to this? If you're not able to do that, nothing's going to change. Because telling a person not to be anxious when they're anxious or not to be depressed when they're depressed is probably the worst thing you can do. Um, But sadly, a lot of people do it still. A lot of people say it. And so don't take that approach. Look at them, figure out what's going on, figure out why they might feel the way they're feeling, And not just the why isn't like, well, my kid's anxious about, you know, doing homework. Well, why are they anxious about doing homework? Maybe it's because they had a really hard semester during COVID because they were doing virtual learning. They're not a good virtual learner. It was a struggle for them. They barely scraped by. Now they're back in school, which is great for them. But that anxiety of doing homework is still there. And now you have to approach it from a different perspective. Like, okay, this stemmed from back then when they struggled. And now I have to figure out how to correlate that to now and and help them with that. Or maybe it is a situation where you got a teenage kid or a kid, not even teenage, who's been struggling with some behaviors. And although you've been trying to help them, they have noticeably getting in more trouble. And is it because they now feel like, you know, all I can do is wrong? Or I'm nervous or anxious that I'm going to get in trouble again for doing something, so I'm not even going to try. You know, I remember myself as a kid playing sports. I played a lot of sports. I definitely was not the top of the list on the team in pretty much all of my sports, but I played them. Um, But I remember, you know, doing things during those sports, and because I wasn't the best player, having coaches and people yell at me, you know, tell me I'm doing something wrong, telling me I screwed up a play or something like that. And it eventually got to a point where when I was playing those sports, I didn't really try. No, I was out there, I was running, I was playing, but let's say I was playing soccer and I had the ball and let's say I had an open run to the net. Let's say I got around a player and had an open run to the net. My first instinct would be to find another player to pass to 
Because in my mind, I'd already decided that I was going to screw it up. I was no way I was going to get to the net and shoot that ball and score. So why even try? Find another player who I know is going to do better than me. Um, I actually have a memory of that in high school soccer, freshman year. It was beginning of the beginning of the year, and we were um, doing a um, basically just a scrimmage match against a team up near Pittsburgh. And I remember having the ball. It was junior varsity and making a cut and beating a defender. And it was literally me and the goalie. And as I was running down the field and I see the goalie there looming in front of me, my literal brain thoughts, I still have the memory of it is that there's no way I'm going to score this. I'm going to so screw this up. So instead of continuing to dribble the ball forward to get a better shot, I basically stopped at the top of the 18 and I kicked it with my left foot. I am not left footed by any means, but I did it. Cause I was just like, what's the point of trying? I kicked it. I heard my teammates and my parents in the stand groan a little bit. <laughs> I still remember it. And of course, the ball didn't go in. Of course, it was saved easily, and, and the game went on. Now, did I feel bad about missing? No, not that I don't think so, because I had already determined that I was going to miss, right? But that's an anxiety. That's a performance anxiety for sports. And that had been built up with me over years and years. And I'm not blaming anybody. It's not like one person was like, rude to me, but it was literally years of being told I was not doing well enough at something. And that culminated into this performance anxiety when it came to sports. So when you look at your kids and they're having anxiety about something, or if they're depressed about something, that is not something that just happened right away. That is something that has been building and building over time. And they were probably able to manage it for a while, but it got to a point where they could just no longer manage it. The fuel is out their ability to withhold from it is gone. And now it's just taking over. So you look at our kids now, you look at anxiety, you look at depression. Um, it's definitely gotten worse in our kids. No matter what people tell you, it's gotten worse. And ask any general pediatrician out there, they're going to tell you that. And we're all doing our best on helping kids manage that. But when I have a patient come in and I get 20 minutes to figure out what's going on with them, what's wrong with them, What's been the biggest stressors recently? What's changed? And oh, by the way, have you been seeing that counselor or taking the medicines that we talked about? And if it's a yes or no or whatever, I have to, I have 20 minutes to figure all that out and then tell them what to do. It's just not enough time. Now, if you see a counselor or a therapist, psychiatrist, you might get an hour with them, which is great. A lot better sometimes than seeing a journal pediatrician because a lot of us don't have a lot of time now. We can make time. We can absolutely set time out for that. We have to schedule it right. But if you come in for a healthcare visit and, oh, by the way, my kid is stressed or my kid's anxious, my kid's this or that, now we have to figure out how we manage that best. And no pediatrician will ever rush you through that. But even if we have an hour, even if we have two hours to talk it out with you, that's two hours out of the next, what, four weeks until you come back and see us? Two months? six months, maybe you decide not to come back to your next annual visit. So it's really up to us as the parents to figure out what's going on, but not just what's going on. Why is it going on? And again, not the why of the initial reaction for the anxiety or depression, but what's the why underneath it? And how can we start to approach that? And that's where a lot of, I think, counseling and therapy comes into play. Um, seeing psychology, working on some different 
you know, mind strategies and things like that. You know, I've written some articles about anxiety and and kids, and I'll definitely link those in the show notes. Um, But it's definitely not something that's going away. And I think it's very important for us as parents to recognize it early and make sure we do something about it early enough. Don't assume it's just going to go away. And if you're a parent and you're wondering if it's happening to your kid, it probably is. If you've seen some little things and you're like, oh, I wonder if this is happening, it probably is. Get something going. Start soon. Um, Because the sooner you get something initiated, the quicker and the better it's going to be to manage it. So that's my thoughts today on adolescence and depression, anxiety, and what we're seeing and why I think it's happening and what you can do. Um, I hope it made sense. I hope that what I talked about made sense on the why and maybe how you can start to recognize it a little bit with your kids. If you got thoughts on this, I'd love to hear about it. Uh, you can email me at imperfectdadmd at gmail.com, or you can go to the website, www.imperfectdadmd.com, and send me a message through there. Um, again, I'm going to leave some links in the show notes for a couple of those articles that I did in the past. They may be a little outdated because a lot of them are all about COVID, um, which was 2020, 2021. Um, but I think they still have some good information in them. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on those as well. Otherwise, I hope you guys are staying healthy, staying safe. Remember to embrace those imperfections. And we'll see you next time. My dad, Dr. Jeremy Toffel, is a pediatrician, father, and husband. The information provided in this podcast is not meant to be medical advice and is for your education and entertainment only.